You know, sometimes I think we're in a day and age where we think we know everything. We have absolutely everything at our disposal, and sometimes we don't even take the time to really listen and do the research for ourselves. So, how much do you really know about HIV? How much do you really know about PrEP? Is it all because of our beliefs? Does anything that stems from that? Or is it just because of the amount of resources that are limited to us? I'm not sure. But either way, let's get raw, let's get real. Brother Speak Podcast coming at you in just a second. All right, thank you for joining us today at Brother Speed Podcast, where we talk about black LGBT issues and topics, and I'm your host, Chris. And I am here with Mr. Marvin. And uh, Marvin, can you please explain your position here within the Pride Center, which we currently work at? Okay, well, my name is Marvin Shaw. I work for the Pride Center in Wilton Manors, Florida. I run a program called the Kiki Project, which is an HIV intervention program that specifically... um, was developed to answer the question as to why the number of uh, black same gender loving men, the number of HIV incidents continue to rise each year. So that particular population, we're still seeing the number of infections go up each year. So um, one of the huge things that we're trying to determine is what type of uh, interventions can be created that will be effective to that particular community. One of the things that I noticed when it comes to PrEP, PrEP in particular doesn't seem to be marketed very well, I think, within the black community because I think think a lot of people actually would benefit greatly from it. But I just don't understand why. I don't, can you, can you give me some enlightenment on this? Because I don't understand. Well, when it comes to the black community, the conversation of HIV in and of itself is a very difficult conversation. And um, we, uh, as a people, have so many other things that are huge priorities for us. You know, for a lot of us, it's a, it's a matter of survival. Yeah. So having the conversation about HIV and or HIV prevention, it's not that large on our priority list. So very often there are huge efforts to reach the black community. Um, because once again, um, pharmaceutical companies like Gilead, who manufactures the pill that we use uh, in the PrEP strategy, which is Travada, I mean, they're more than glad to deal with the black industry. They're, they'll take our money, so they're going to promote it to whomever they feel are the highest individuals that are in need of this. It's it's very difficult to have that conversation with our culture. It's, it's not a popular conversation. Why? Well... Uh, There are so many social issues that plague us every day that are more pressing. You know, if a person is dealing with how to keep their electric on, how to how to feed themselves and their family, how to pay the mortgage. uh, If a person is trying to survive, that's more important than dealing with um, the prevention of something that may happen to me. Right. You know, um, and again, our lives, some, for a lot of us, our lives are so difficult until we don't want to have another sad conversation. We just don't, we're just not interested a lot of times. You know, it's interesting because what I've been, this, I guess what I observe is that there's a lot of black gay professionals who are making well good money and they themselves don't even know that much about prep. And if they do, they probably find out from the white counterparts. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I myself don't take prep. Um, there's a lot of people I know who have looked at it and thought, I'm not quite sure quite yet. Wh- who would you say PrEP is for? PrEP is for individuals that are high risk for contracting HIV. That's all of us. Yeah. Well, 
I would say that's all of us, but some of us are more at risk than others. For instance, take into consideration the fact that black people represent somewhere between 13 to 14 percent of America's total population. Okay. However, we represent almost 50 percent of all the new HIV diagnosis. We also represent somewhere between 45 and 48 percent of all the HIV cases total. So we are disproportionately represented. So um, the fact that we're almost half of the HIV cases, our numbers continue to go up in the demographic of black men that have sex with men, because we are a much smaller population with so with with just as many people living with HIV as the white population and the uh, and the Latin population, because it's just as many. coupled with the fact that we are a much smaller population, it puts us at a higher risk. The behaviors are no different. I don't want to suggest to you that black gay men behavior is any different from white gay men's behavior because some some studies indicate that we're more likely to use condoms when we have sex. But the point that I want to make is that because they are a much larger population of individuals, to give you an example, if you are a white gay male, you may meet hundreds of white gay men before you meet an HIV positive one. If you are a black gay male dealing with a much smaller population, it may be only 10, 12, 20 before you meet an HIV positive So you're guy. saying that because the numbers, the likelihood of us encountering an HIV uh, infected person is way, way much different than a white person encountering because the numbers themselves. So it would be exactly. three. It will, I, so basically what statistics say is three times likely that we would be that we're gonna is because of the fact our population is smaller. Right. Not necessarily because of the fact that we're just bad at putting no. up a condom. Not no. because of, In fact, some studies have suggested, have concluded that black gay men uh, have sex with condoms more often than white gay men. You can make that same comparison when you're looking at the homosexual community and when you're looking at the heterosexual community. When you are a homosexual person and you're having sex without a condom, that is much riskier when than when you are a heterosexual man having sex. So it's the same exact behaviors, but it's it's the the level of risk is much higher for one population than the other. You know, now that makes sense. Mm-hmm. See, okay, now okay, before I thought for a long time, it was just strictly the fact that we're you know, some people classify us as being careless. No. Some people classify us as just simply being, oh, we just prefer not to have a condom. Or we just simply prefer to just be a little bit more reckless. So it's nothing with behavior, no. it's just more in numbers. So now that brings me to let's break this down a little bit further. The poor Versus those who are middle class or those who are well-to-do, especially within the gay community. The gay community, we still have that. I'm not sure if you actually read, read the book, The Velvet Rage. Yes. And, okay, that we're definitely in now. We right. want to kind of show that we can do better because we probably didn't actually do that well uh, amongst, our, especially amongst the black community, right. when it comes to being gay. You know, mm-hmm. it's actually, you're not the most popular one all the time. So when we come out in the real world, doing very well. Right. We kind of very, very successful. We wind up being taking these managerial positions and income, and starting on businesses in many cases, or very well driven um, because, in fact, we want things. So are you noticing, in terms of income, the demographic showing one, one party getting more than another? 
Well, I think that there are always social economic issues that um, social economic issues affect every aspect of our lives, as well as affecting our access into medical care, our access to information, uh, information about um, prevention methods, about holistic methods, all of those things. Social economics determine a lot of things in individuals' lives. So it, it people that are on a lower spectrum of income are automatically at a disadvantage. Wow. Automatically. So, okay. And it includes access to PrEP. It includes access to health care. It includes access to information. Well, okay, now wait a minute. Condoms, really? I mean, condoms is everywhere. Well, let me ask you this. Let me, let me backtrack. Because if you go to your own doctor, condoms are not there. Condoms are not you go to. I know if I go to my doctor right now, condoms are not there. They will point you to a Walgreens down the street or CVS around the corner. That's basically it. So doctors don't even push HIV testing even that much at all. You just find out later. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to now, and when it comes to black men in particular, going to the doctor as a preventive measure Mm -hmm. has that changed at all through the years? Has it changed at any? Any time or what? The truth of the matter is that men in general, we don't like to go to the doctor. Men don't like to go to the doctor. Less likely for black men to go to the doctor. Again, socioeconomic have a lot to do with that. The fact that we're less likely. You know, it's more common that we, we may not help have health insurance. Or even, even those of us that do have health insurance, very often we make choices based on what's affordable. You know, uh, um, I was told by black people that um, we think it's wonderful that there's actually a pill that reduces the chances of contracting HIV. But when we hear the word pill, we automatically think that costs money. I can't afford that. What's why do I need to even learn about that? I can't afford it. There are lots of black people that have told me that the reason why we don't get tested for HIV is because we don't feel that we can afford the care. As a reason, if we found out that we were HIV positive, I can't afford the care. So why find that out and and ultimately worry myself to, to death by finding that out? So some of us have made. I mean, I've been. This has been said to me. Some of us have just make the choice to, uh, to rather not know because of we're feeling that we cannot afford the care that's necessary. There are a whole lot of issues uh, in the black community that uh, we feel. Uh, that have n- really have nothing to do with HIV, and, and that we feel why these numbers continue to go up. You know, there's a great deal homophobia in the black community that that highly affect the numbers. But because of the homophobia in the black community, we have a lot of black men that choose to live a heterosexual lifestyle, but make the choice to sleep with other men, to sleep with men uh, in addition to having the heterosexual lifestyle, which which often put them at risk, often put their um, significant others that usually are women also at risk. So all of these different things that happen with us, there's a huge amount of uh, a high, a much higher likelihood of incarceration in the black community. Incarceration in the black community interrupt uh, sex you know our our sex structures and our uh, social structures, and there and and these are all things that uh, attribute to the stag you know the stagnant number of HIV cases among black people. So they wind up having survival sex in jail, basically. Very that happens a lot. I mean, supposedly it don't happen, but that happens a lot. There is a lot of HIV that's contracted in jail. Wow. 
Poor these Easter same brother. men come out and they're having sex with women now. See, okay, let me, because I was told basically, we did one episode where it was called uh, Homo and Hip Hop, where we discussed that to where in jail, well, I was basically, well, not I was basically told, but what this particular rapper made an interview and he said, jail is like Vegas. Mm. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Okay. And that's very similar right. to how they actually treat prison and it comes to especially survival sex. Right. You know. And okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the, the, the poor issue for a minute because when it comes to having that prevent the condoms, just condoms. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. In the gay community you go around condoms, well man, there's condoms everywhere. Right. Everywhere you go there's a condom. Mm-hmm. I mean some of us have a box full of condoms right now. Just that. Right. With the loot. Yes. <laughs> so, but if you wind up going to the poor community, what exactly are, what exactly within the poor community are they really being given that's used for preventive measures? Well, and we do make an effort to engage uh, the black community, but, um, going to the black community, giving out condoms, having conversations with individuals. Black people, for a lot of great reasons, um, we are uh, conspiracy theorists a lot of times. Um, sometimes we are not very trusting. I mean, so, uh, and we are... And for good reason. For good reasons. Yeah, we're we're yeah. not trusting. So, it, in going in the black communities, you have to have the right people. To go into the black community, you have to you have to be able to give those messages. Those messages need to come from trusted people yeah. entering into the community. Uh, I feel in many ways in the black community, we highly, highly, highly need the support of the black church to talk about this. Um, this is a taboo conversation for a lot of traditional black churches, and so um, getting to that demographic of people, it's harder. It's harder. These people have been abused in many ways by the same systems that are now coming to them saying that there's hope and there's a lack of trust a lot of times um, there. So, okay, so basically right now, like say for instance, Atlanta, let's take, I'm, I'm going to pull out some like, cities that are really highly populated with black, with the black community. Chicago, mm-hmm. Atlanta, D.C., even down here for a lot of the Florida what are the numbers showing in all these cities? Are any particular city going down or any anything at all that we're noticing? Or is it just that they all kind of mirror each other? They all mirror each other, but some cities are doing a much better job than others. Who? Um, D.C. is definitely doing a much better job. Okay. Um, when you look at South Florida and you look at um, uh, Atlanta numbers, yeah. they're horrible. And the very sad thing about South Florida and Atlanta numbers is you're looking at, for the most part, men of color um, that are living with HIV. One of the significant things about those two states that that I would say are significant to me is that they're Republican states. And so the whole HIV conversation in and of itself sometimes are not a huge priority. Since when we look at the state of Florida in particular, the state of Florida who did not um, expand Medicaid, the state of Florida's state government made a lot of choices that were not in the best interest as far as getting health coverage and benefits for the for poor communities. Sometimes the cho- the choices that are made, big big choices that are made by government officials or by government, highly affect poor people in getting access to health care, uh, prevention methods, holistic methods, 
um, in, in, in information. You just said something very interesting. So basically, if you're living in a Republican state, you're more likely to not receive the proper care that you really should be looking should be looking forward to because it's not going to be available to you because the funds are not going to be distributed in those areas anyway. You're less likely, but it but I think education is huge also. Yes. Because I don't care where you where you are in this country in the United States of America, um if you need health care and you knock on enough doors, um there's always availability, but again, in poor communic in poor um, communities, there's very often a lack of education. There's very often a lack of ability to read, a lack of understanding these things. There aren't lots of community health workers in those areas. And, and when you have a lot of people that are not employed and underemployed, they may be not have health care or under or, or they they're under cared for as far as their 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 health uh, coverage. Is concerned that there's a lack. They may have a lack of coverage available. So all of these different things highly impact that person's knowledge base, that person's access into care, that person's understanding of what's available to them, um, and um, just in all in 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 in, in, in coupled with that is we see a lot more risky behaviors. In those communities. Now, see, I want to go back to that too because I think last year I attended something where it was talking about the issue of shame. Mm-hmm. Shame within the black community. Now, I want to expand on that for a little bit. I want to kind of indulge into that. Shame of what? Is it shame of being black? Is it shame of uh, just being poor or, you know, or being, being gay? Or shame of what? Well, more if we're more specifically discussing. Um, how black people view HIV or like the the whole issue of living with HIV or the HIV disease. Remember, the black church is the cornerstone, the center of black culture. Still, still? To, this, to this very day, to this very day, I still I still believe that it it's probably still the most powerful entity in black community. It, it, it's black kind of church. funny because the church seems to be well, let me say this. Amongst Several topics. Mm-hmm. The church seems to be coming down or breaking apart because I know we just did one last week when it came down to gays in the church, and we noticed that a lot of people are switching denominations. Denominations mm-hmm. seem to be a very key thing. Those who support gay marriage and willing to perform the, the actual process and ceremonies, and those who don't. Mm-hmm. So I'm beginning to see that there is somewhat of a breakdown. But I, I want to explore that for a minute. So, but if it's a cornerstone. And I'm noticing a lot of people within the church, black people in particular, we we care for the church. We you know we just praise the church, you know, praise the past and everything like that. But we're also very quiet in terms of our rebellion thinking, or in terms of what we think. We don't think that the pastor should be talking about gay people at all. Because guess what? My son is gay. My right. nephew is gay. My uh, we, so we the idea of even talking about or going against the idea. Right. within the church we don't want to do that we talk and we do it in our private homes right. but we'll never outright say to the pastor pastor I wish you start talking about that here's why well one of the things you have to understand when you look at black culture in America I mean we were an oppressed people at one time we were owned we were property 
of white people. And so the church in many ways was the only refuge that we had. You know, so this is how the church became the powerful entity um, that it still is today. The church was our refuge. It was a place that we went to um, experience some peace or at least believe that we can have peace. The black church and a lot of the traditional fundamental black church kind of taught a very a doctrine of allowing yourself to suffer while you're here on on you earth. You know what you write um, about that. The church you, you the write church about taught that. us in many ways that the things that we're experiencing here down on earth that it's okay because our salvation, our our reward for all of the, the difficulties that we you know experience, what? that it's coming. You know, so what? we were taught that it's okay <laughs> see, to see, go without. You it's just, okay. You're right about that. You okay? See, that's the point that I guess I don't get. You okay? You're telling me, and I guess I never really connected the dots. Why do we have to go through all this suffering and wait till the hereafter to actually reap the reward? Why can't we do that now? You know, it's like what is? Why is that belief? System that only the hereafter is where you reap all the rewards, and you know, old t- you know, times are going to get much better if you just simply just hold on to faith. And yeah, you know, I get all that, but I also want to understand how come I can't enjoy everything right now. Well, I believe it was the most that they had at that time. That that type of doctrine was probably most heavily. It probably started and was most most heavily taught during a time that we were slaves. So people that were in bondage, they were slaved, they had no rights, they were not even considered human beings. True. They needed something. True. They needed some hope. And so what church gave them was don't look for your reward here. Don't 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 look for it here. And you know what? Chris, I believe it worked for a lot of us. I believe that if it were not for that hope for a better day in the afterlife, some of us may not have been able to make it. So, you know, it's interesting because a lot of a lot of our the way that we did things, the way that we thought, a lot of our traditions that worked for us at one time don't work anymore. And we we've kept those same traditions yeah, yeah. that were survived. They were we needed those traditions to survive then. Yes. So back then when there was no other hope that, that was available to give to us, you know, except that it was gonna be in the afterlife, that probably was the best thing a spiritual leader had back then. But but now we're still teaching that to people. We're still teaching people that there's no hope here on earth. No hope here on our earth. But just suffer on. Be poor. You know what I'm saying? And you're going to get your reward in the afterlife. You know, A lot of us still believe that. We still live by that. And the thing that you have to realize is that getting to the conversation of HIV AIDS... The church taught us HIV AIDS is very much still thought of as a sexual disease and it's thought of as a gay disease. Yes. Sex is not a popular conversation in church. Sex is something that's that was taught to us. It's reserved for marriage. That's reserved for marriage. And so talking about sex in a and and in many ways the church taught us that marriage was about 
having children. Yeah. You know, that the, yeah. the reason you got married was to have families. True. And maybe there was a time where that's really what it was about. Yeah. But we haven't evolved enough. So you have this whole issue with it being sex. And sex is something that we were taught was dirty and almost reserved for when you got married and it was about having children. Right. You know, right, sex right. wasn't, we never thought of sex as a pleasurable thing. No. no. You know, oh, okay. and secondly, when it comes to homosexuality, we were taught that homosexuality is an abomination, it's a sin, and we were taught that sins sent you to a place where you were condemned to burning forever and in eternity. That's, and so the conversation of HIV, that's not a, we don't want to go there in the black community, in the church, because it surrounds two things that we don't like to talk about. Homosexuality, we don't like to talk about that. But yeah, you'll beat somebody down with it. You'll beat them down with it because, well, you know what? And I also got to look at that for a minute. And you be basically beating people down because it's a popular thing amongst your congregation, or do you truly want to beat them down? Because you know, it was one. Of, it was that's something that's always thought of for me. It's like okay, mm-hmm. you know, it's popular amongst the congregations for you to hear that, or is it something that you truly feel? Like I really sometimes feel that sometimes the, the which is true. The congregation really does dictate what the pastor going to say. Yeah, I think so. So think it's so. really. About I think what, in a lot of black churches. The congregation don't realize the amount of, uh, of validation or power that they have as far as the direction that that church goes in. You're right about that. I mean, you, but again, I come from a spiritual or religious background that you didn't have the right to question anything. Yes. You know, I mean, pretty much the idea was God said it, I believe it, and that's that. that's that you know it was not anything that you questioned you did not question the doctrine of the church you didn't question the teachings of the pastor like you you were not in a position if the pastor was telling you God said who were you to question that I guess you know what part of me says I see the benefits of having a church and being in church if it is progressive, if it is willing to understand and sometimes question themselves and their own beliefs. Right. And I, that's why sometimes every now and then there was a viral video that came out that said a few things about how we actually are within the church when it comes to the gays, etc. But I'm not going to go to that topic. But I do see that some pastors are beginning to wake up. Now, if I go to the actual numbers itself and be more specific in terms of how young black people are, black gay men are actually attracting the HIV virus and to how old? How how young? How old? What are we looking at in terms of numbers? We're, we're diagnosing children in their early teens. I mean, the highest numbers, I mean, I mean, the age group where we're seeing the most new infections are between the ages of 13 to 24. That's, really? We're, yes, between 13 and 24. Um, and that's how we break it down. That's how we break it down. That's, so that's one category of how we break it down. If I were to break it down a little bit further, I would say uh, we, we do see early, early, very young teenagers. Even teenagers younger than 13 are contracted, are being diagnosed with HIV. However, I would say it's more prevalent. You're seeing it. Most new diagnoses today are falling probably somewhere between 16, 17 to 24. Wow. So really... You're talking about an age between middle school to high school, really? Yes. 
Move. Yes, that's so what they're contracting primarily. That is, okay, that in itself, you know a lot of schools are not giving condoms because they think it promotes sex. Is that true or does it still, still hold true today or no? There, there are a lot of pro- progressive schools, you know, okay. middle and high schools. You tend to have a lot more pr- progress when it's a charter school that's not necessarily run by the state. Uh, a lot of these uh, state-funded schools, the, the the schools that fall under the state, like Broward County School System, the school system that that we have here, has one of the most innovative innovative curriculums for HIV education. They haven't been able to successfully roll it out yet, because the interesting thing about the school board is that the school board can approve something and say this is good for us, yeah. but. Each principal at each school has a certain amount of power. And those principals are very often controlled, if you will, by the parents of the students that attend that school. So regardless of the fact that the school board has said this is a curriculum that we want to roll out to all of our students, it's it's been difficult to do that at a number of our schools and a number of our black schools. Wow. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, well, first off, are parents truly against this? Some parents are. But it's not a, a huge amount. Um, I, I, I can't speak on that in particular because yeah. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not someone that yeah. would have that data or talk to someone okay. personally. Okay. But in conversations in the industry, um, that's what we're, we're being told that it's a lot difficult in schools because the principals are under the pressure of the parents of what they want their students to be exposed to. Jesus. Their, well, their children to be right. exposed to. Right, right, right. So, but see, that seems to be the tough, that seems to be the age with the most HIV new cases. There's a huge amount of HIV in, among young children. What's among, number two? Who's the second class? Uh, what, what ages? Um... I would have to refer to, um, but probably uh, mid thirties, early forties. Mid thirties, early forties, and yeah. by this time they should know. <laughs> so, uh, again, would, I could be wrong. I could be wrong in thinking. I mean, see, what's interesting about that statement, Chris, is when you say by this time they should know. Yeah. Um, knowing is one thing, but making the choice, you have to realize that HIV is a behavioral disease. There are very few people today that are born with HIV. I mean, if you went back 10 years ago, we saw a lot of babies born with HIV when the mother was HIV positive. We pretty much have that under control. If a mother follows all of our instructions and, um, and stay in care, it's very highly, uh, it's very probable that her baby will not be born with HIV. But HIV in and of itself is a disease that's based on your behavior. No one contracts HIV hereditary. No one contracts HIV from touching someone or in the air or anything like that. It's based on a behavior. So knowing that a behavior is risky is not enough. I mean, people, I'm HIV positive. I'll I'll share my story. I'm HIV positive. When I, I had to have this conversation with myself one time in doing this work. And I asked myself, what could have been different for you? 
Because when I contracted HIV, Chris, I knew all the risks associated with having condomless sex. I probably owned condoms. I probably had condoms in the drawer next to my bed, but I still made that choice. So that's where the real work come in. What are the interventions available that will help people to make different choices as far as the the uh, behaviors that we want to involve in uh, in that put us at risk for HIV? So basically, that's where prep comes in for those who really don't want to make that choice and don't really want to reach for that condom. Would you say? Well. People who don't consistently use condoms all the time, we consider them at high risk for HIV, especially if you're gay. And then even more if you're black and gay and a man. And if you're not using condoms consistently all the time, we consider you at a higher risk. Um, and so in that particular case, we, w- we would recommend that you, uh, that you go on PrEP. Now, even, now, one of the things that I, I need you to understand about PrEP is that PrEP is an HIV strategy. Okay. All right? So a lot of people, when they talk about PrEP, they talk about PrEP as if it's a pill. Okay. The actual pill is Travada. A part of the HIV strategy called PrEP includes taking a pill, and we highly recommend, in addition to taking that pill, some other form of prevention, like using a condom. Remember, um, the the PrEP strategy, which includes the Travada pill, highly reduces the chances of contracting HIV. It highly reduces the chances of you contracting HIV. It's not 100%. It does not, it does not protect you against syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, all the other STDs that you're at risk for when you have condomless sex. So an individual that we are recommending to go on prep to take the one pill a day, we highly recommend in doing that is in combination of using a condom. Okay, so okay, so you got probably one person who's probably driving, listening to this podcast right now. They're probably like, "Well, it may not be a hundred percent, but it's ninety nine percent, ninety eight percent. What percentage is prep? How effective really is it?" PrEP is considered extremely effective. I mean, there are some studies that say that PrEP is is even more effective than using condoms. Um, The important thing to realize is that there is no 100% strategy except abstinence. Abstinence. You know they have. Well, for a lot of people, we're not going to go back to that. Um, PrEP uh, and some of the... You have to realize that there are several different clinical trials and there are several different variables included in those clinical trials. Some of those trials have indicated that PrEP's uh, efficacy is 96 to 99%. Other trials have... The lowest I've ever seen was 92%. Okay. 92% efficacy. Okay. okay. So if I'm actually... If I know that 92... Because there's some cases that I've actually heard different things about PrEP. Mm -hmm. Um, because PrEP has only been around for how many years? PrEP has been out around since 2012. 2012. So it's still fairly new to the market. It's fairly new. I mean, we're in 2016, knocking yeah. on 2017. So I... It's still fairly... It's, you know, okay, it's fairly new. I mean, only because of the fact that when it comes to medical um, testings and, and all of the... The interesting things. thing is... Okay, here's what I want you to understand. PrEP is a strategy to prevent HIV. The pill that we use, Travada, is an HIV medication that we've used for HIV positive people much longer. 
So uh-huh. PrEP used as an HIV prevention strategy is fairly new. But Trivada itself has been around. I don't know how long it's been around, but Trivada used for HIV positive individuals as a part of their treatment. So we have probably a decade and longer studies on the efficacy of Trivada itself, the side effects, possible long-term side effects of Trivada itself in uh, people that are HIV positive. So one of the arguments about that, like if there's a long-term studies on Trivada is that here are people that are HIV negative, we would assume are more healthy than an HIV positive person. We would assume that. That's not necessarily true, that a negative person is more uh, is more healthy than a positive person. Right. But the point to make is that there are studies, there are long-term studies of Travada use on people that are presumably less healthy. So, oh. I, so in my opinion, that would show some significance if you're saying that this is the long-term effects on people that are actually HIV positive. So, do you expect the long-term effects on a person that's not HIV positive to be worse? Or it probably... I'm not a doctor or pharmacist. Yes, yes. You know, so I, I don't yeah, want to, yeah. you know, speak from a, a, a medical position. Right, right, but, right. But the suggestion is that if we're not seeing detrimental long-term effects on a person that potentially have some, some immune um, deficiency... If we're not seeing a huge uh, negative on those people, then it probably would suggest that we're not going to see it on people that don't have that immune deficient system. Okay, I so, hope that makes sense. All right. So just get to continue the conversation real quick. When it comes down to, in particular when it comes down to PrEP, Travada itself it's been around for a long time. We got that covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes down to the actual understandings of it, educationally, it seems as though black people don't get all the energy. We still don't have that education. And the only way that we can actually get it is within the within an organization that really don't want to talk about it. You got one aspect, which is the church. Then you got certain states, certain states, that either give a lot or a little you know, when it comes to the actual preventive measures and giving the avenues and medic- medical um, ways to actually get the information. So, when you kind of pull all that in a bowl, in terms of black people really getting the education, what ways can we make it to get through all these other, other, other organizations that really have the capability to do it, but they're not doing it? If we don't have the church and we don't have the government, their state government, to be able to push that information and to push that message about PrEP, and the benefits of it, because if you know you're having sex without a condom, whether you're gay or whether you're straight, some way, somehow, that information has to be given to you. And because I'll be honest with you, if I don't even know the word prep, I don't know where to pull up. Mm-hmm. So how do you get it to those people who don't know anything about it? Well, right now in South Florida, I mean, as you know, South Florida... Uh, Represented the number one HIV uh, newly diagnosed HIV cases in 2015. Um, the state of Florida was the number one state for HIV new cases. Um, Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties um, represented number one, two, and three. Dade and, County and Palm Beach. Dade County is the number one county for HIV newly diagnosed H uh, cases. 
Broward County is the number two county. Palm Beach County is number three. What the hell? Okay, yeah, so, okay, all right, okay. So not only did our state represent the number one state for newly diagnosed HIV cases, but the three South Florida counties represented the number one counties uh, countrywide. I don't want to say the number one, not the number one counties in Florida. The number, of course, the number one counties in Florida, yeah. but also the number one counties among all counties in the United States of America. So more people were diagnosed with HIV in the in South Florida than anywhere else in the country in 2015. What? The? Yes. Okay. So wait. So <laughs> so because of that, we realized that there is just a huge need. For HIV intervention, HIV interventions. So, the health department and, and, and the, all of the organizations are collaborating on how we can get the message about uh, PrEP out there. So, there are a lot of efforts and conversations right now, a lot of efforts. Gilead, who is the uh, pharmaceutical corporation, they manufacture uh, the, the, uh, the only pill available now, which is Trivada. Uh, for PrEP uh, they are extremely supportive. They have uh, done a lot of funding. There are several organizations that are trying to help us get the work. We're kind of we're kind of a little behind. Keep in mind, like I said, um, the state of Florida, when you look at states like California, they California and New York, they did a much better job of rolling out PrEP years ago. And they're seeing the results of that now. If you go to Cal, if you were going to go to go to San Francisco, prep is something that's discussed and known about. It's almost like talking about a about I don't know a chocolate candy bar or something. But that's a white town. It's really a white town. I mean, now that was the most expensive city to live in. So in those cases, like Oakland, let's go to California and Oakland, those particular areas. How is it there? I, I I can't speak specifically about Oakland, but but what we what we're doing is we're looking at how other states rolled it out and what they did to be most effective. The thing that you have to there's a lot of resources available when a person is HIV positive. So if you were to ask me, okay, well, I, if you were to tell me, oh, a friend of mine just found out he's HIV positive, what do he do? I can I can. I can tell you where to go, who to go talk to, what meds he probably need to go on, blah. I mean, all the different resources available. You have to realize PrEP is a strategy for negative people. So there's not even a lot of doctors that you can go to to talk about PrEP. And keep in mind, the doctors that HIV positive people go to, they're not the PrEP doctors. They're dealing with positive people. This is a totally new thing for us. This is a totally new thing for us. When it comes to the HIV conversation, this is a part of the HIV conversation, but it's not the HIV conversation as it relates to positive people. Right, right. So that's what so now we have to we have to create providers. We have to educate the providers. Wow. About prep. And you would think because they're doctors. You would think because they're doctors, they would know a little bit more, especially knowing pertaining to certain age, just not even forget the fact that black, just age uh, brackets. Basically, if you are between 16 to 21, we're knowing that you're possibly going to have sex. Here's some preventive measures. That shouldn't be assumed. That should not be assumed. So, I mean, well, they're because, assuming it, though. They're assu- well, you, you have to realize that we're we're gay men 
and we're also black gay men. That reason alone, the HIV conversation, is very prevalent in our community. But there are lots of communities where they don't even talk about HIV. It's not, it's, it's, it's all, being a black gay man, I know several people that are HIV positive. I'm sure you know several people. I know several people that have died of HIV. Yes. And so, it's a relevant conversation for me. Um... Uh, HIV prevention is a relevant conversation for me. Um, a heterosexual white woman living in the suburbs, um, been married to her husband for 10 years and have two children that are often, that it's not a relevant conversation. It's not. And so her husband, who may be the doctor, how many people actually come in that are asking him convers- questions about HIV? They may not even know anyone that's HIV positive. They may not have never even experienced anyone that died of HIV. So it's, you have to, like, this is a relevant conversation for us, but there are a lot of people where this is not so relevant. So what is the department doing? What is the medical industry doing to get those doctors? Because they're assuming something too. They're just assuming, well, you're okay. Because they're not taking the HIV test unless it's voluntarily or asked Well, for. here's something interesting. It's been at least two years that the law has changed where your doctor is... Rec- um, it, the law used to be you had to opt in to get an HIV test, meaning that you had to give authorization. You had to say, to, oh, I want to get an HIV test. Or, or a doctor asks you, do you want an HIV test? The law changed where people are supposed to be opting out for HIV test. So what I mean by that is it has been the law in the state of Florida for at least a couple of years now. When you go to the doctor to just get like a routine checkup, they're supposed to be doing an HIV test. You're supposed to tell them, no, I don't, I don't need an HIV test. Oh. So now the law has changed where doctors are supposed to, as a part of their routine coverage. Yeah. But most doctors don't do that. Wow. What we, what we know is that most, and I don't think that them not doing it is because it's not important. HIV is just not an area that they choose to work in or want to work in want to deal with and it's not they their clientele or what they deal with is not HIV. Wow. So there are doctors that chose to be HIV doctors and deal with the HIV conversation. Right. right. So now you have HIV negative people coming to you wanting to talk about HIV. That's not your area of expert. You don't even want to deal with that perhaps. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But but the doctors that deal with that Deal with it with HIV positive people. So, okay. So, basically, right now, the best way for, say, a 16-year-old to get any sort of knowledge, number one, of PrEP. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Do the parents, you, the kids at 16 year old, I can take PrEP? No. No. We highly recommend PrEP to start. Now, I think... I'm not certain. I'm not certain if uh, a doctor, because of bone density and some other um, things, it's my understanding that the recommendation of prescribing PrEP starts at 18 years old. So wait a minute. So the one that's the highest class, the highest class getting the new HIV infected cases are 13 to 21. 
They are the ones that's basically uh, at risk, which is, of course, every agent. But they are the ones that really are highly at risk right now. They can't get on prep. I don't want to suggest that they cannot get on prep. But the recommendation of who are the best candidates for prep. The reasons why it's not recommended for an individual under the age of 18 is, okay, the reason why it's not recommended is because of the toxicity of the medication itself. There is a huge concern that it won't be tolerated as well with younger people. So it's based on a huge part. Now, remember, I said PrEP is an HIV strategy that includes taking a pill once a day, using a condom or some other form of prevention, as well as going to see a doctor. Before you prescribe PrEP, you got to go and see a doctor. All right. Think of it like a woman being on a birth control pill. She's got to go see a doctor because this is a uh, all prescribed medication have some level of toxicity to it. So we want a doctor to monitor any possible side effects you may be getting from it to just monitor you. The, when, the first time that you go to a doctor to get prescribed Travala, not PrEP, Travala. The first time that you go to the doctor, the first thing the doctor has to confirm is that you're HIV negative. That's the first thing he's got to do. The second thing is there's a battery of tests that doctor's going to do on you because he wants to confirm that you're healthy enough to take this medication. So they're going to look at your liver functioning. They're going to look at your kidney functioning. So ultimately, if he determines that you're a good candidate because perhaps you're doing some risky behavior, um, along with you're healthy enough to be on this medication. So though, and so... When when you go to the doctor, he's going to prescribe you up to three months worth. Okay? Once he prescribes you those three months worth, you come back at part of the strategy. PrEP is a strategy. I cannot stress that enough. Yes, yes. PrEP is a strategy. Because a lot of people out there believe that PrEP is something that you get on because you want to just have sex bareback. PrEP is a strategy that includes several things that you do. Gotcha. One gotcha. of them is going to the doctor. When you go back to that doctor in three months, again, he's going to test you for HIV. You know, he's going to have a conversation with you about if there were any side effects. He's going to monitor those side effects. He's going to look at your liver function. He's going to look at your kidney function. He's going to look at if the pills themselves are having any type of negative effect on you. So now you got a mother. And some mothers are realistic. Mm-hmm. I know my child. <laughs> my child, she or she ain't listening to me. Right. But at least I want to give them the preventive measures. Is it up to that mother to just simply go buy condoms? or Because remember, it costs money. Mm-hmm. Even preventive measures cost money. Yes. Or where could they possibly go to get free condoms? Like I said, in the gay community, it's everywhere. Yeah. But within the poor community, where? Well, we try very hard to supply um, barbershops with condoms. We try very hard to supply condoms to like beauty salons. And what we do is we look at places where that are highly frequented by people to make uh, condoms available that are free. Um, A person can always go to the health department to get condoms. They can always come to the Pride Center to get condoms. There are several organizations. Now, again, this is more... I mean, we're physically located more in the in, a, in the gay community, but if you're in a, a poor community, we do make a huge effort to have uh, condoms supplied 
um, at businesses uh, in the area. Okay. Um, okay. So. So I mean, it's one of those things that I, I am kind of curious in terms of what the other cities are doing, but barbershops and salons are another. It's actually a great thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a very great thing. Of course, churches would be another, but we don't. There are. <laughs> there, but now here. Here's something that I want to make sure that I say that, say about uh, churches, and not not all churches are fundamental churches. Not all churches are uh, anti-gay, or you know, there sure. are churches that have opened their doors and welcomed us to have the conversation. There are churches that have opened their doors and welcomed us to to give people condoms and to give literature. So I just want to make sure that there are a lot of churches, not just some. There yeah. are a lot of churches that have entered the conversation gotcha. and have said, you know, we welcome you to come to educate our people, to give this information, to give out your literature, to give out your condoms. So it is happening. Okay. And I see more churches, um, more churches turning, turning, making that turn, not quite have made the, when it comes to a lot of churches, Especially where we have younger pastors. Younger pastors tend to be open. A lot of times they have a huge fight with their congregation. Oh. So sometimes... sometimes Which are full of the older folks, right? Yeah. You know, because again, the congregation has a huge amount of, 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 of influence. Yeah. Of what a, a pastor will talk about or not talk about. What the, that church will do or not do. Um, but there have been pastors um, that have gone against the, the opinion of the church. And have allowed us to come in anyway. Right. So it, it, it does happen. Um, you know, we as a people in the black community, we're still heavily affected by so much. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, there's a huge need for mental health care in, in the black community. You know, we, we struggle with a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I, in, the, in the last five minutes, you know, what have I not tackled that you really want people to understand when it comes to prep? What I really want people to understand is that HIV is not what it used to be. You know, we really see HIV coming to zero. I mean, there are more methods than ever in taking care of an HIV pers- HIV positive person. There are more methods than ever in the prevention of HIV. I mean, in today's world, we actually have a pill that will prevent an individual from contracting HIV. So I always tell people, think of PrEP similar to a woman being on a birth control pill, where she's taking a pill every day that reduces the chances of her becoming pregnant. PrEP works the exact same way, where you're actually taking a pill that reduces the chances of you becoming HIV positive. So I just, I want people, especially black people, to understand that, um, 15, 20 years ago, perhaps you can say that being diagnosed HIV positive was a death sentence. That is not the case as of uh, as of today. In today's world, the CDC says that an individual living with HIV, their average lifespan can be 74 years old if they're in care. But, but wait a minute. If I don't have any money, mm-hmm. how can I get it? Okay. If you are HIV positive, you're guaranteed health care. There is a federal funded HIV program called Ryan White that's available to anyone that's living with Even if you're not an American citizen, you have to realize HIV is a public health concern. So we want an HIV positive person to be healthy. 
We want them to be stable. And it's not just simply about their health and their stability. It's about the public uh, as a whole. Right, right. You know, because we, we don't want that person to be a danger to other people. Now, if I am not HIV positive, how can I get prep? If you're not HIV positive, then you need to come in and talk to us. The first thing that we're going to do, most insurances cover PrEP. Medicaid pays for Travada. Medicare pays for Travada. So it's covered by it's covered by most insurance. One of the great things that our president did for us is the Affordable Care Act. So in today's world, if you don't have insurance, we can plug you into the marketplace to apply for insurance where the premiums are based on your income. If all else fails and you cannot get insurance, if we cannot get you on some insurance that will pay for Travada, then there are several programs that we can refer you to that do have sliding scales where an individual is billed based on their income. Now, if you are a person that that needs prep, Gilead have copayment assistance program. I think the point that I want you to that I want to make if a person wants to get on prep and they are a a good candidate for prep, every effort is going to be made to assist that person in getting on prep where it's affordable for them. Again, keep in mind this is a public health concern. So getting a person on PrEP, we're not just trying to protect that person. We're trying to protect the public right. as, as a whole. Right. Does that right. make sense? That makes total sense. And, and, and it's one of those things that I think a lot of us in particular, we want to know how much information is truly out there for us, for those who don't have HIV, those who may have fear they have HIV, as well as also what what's the reason of why we're getting it the most times. You know, How come everybody keeps saying us, us, us? And now I have a really clear-cut understanding as to why. Right. The culture itself seems to be changing, but at a slow rate. Yeah. When it comes to things like that, because it's at all it all comes together as to the reason why we're in the state that we are in. So, one, I want to say thank you so much for the time that you took. Oh, you're quite welcome. Is there anything that people can do to get in contact with you if they feel more comfortable contacting you? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you can always contact me directly right here at the Pride Center. Our phone number is 954-463-9005. My direct extension is 308. In addition to talking about PrEP, just real quick, I want to talk about all biomedical forms of HIV prevention. So okay. there's PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. And PrEP is an HIV strategy where an individual takes one pill a day. It reduces the chances of them contracting HIV significantly. So we've talked about that a lot. And I think that people, I, I hope that people understand about PrEP. If you want more information about PrEP, go online, Google it. There's so much information about PrEP. In addition to PrEP, In today's world, we also have post-exposure prophylaxis. Now, post-exposure prophylaxis is a strategy where an individual may have had an exposure to HIV. So let's say you meet someone, you go home with them, you have sex with them, a condom is not used. The next morning, you use their restroom and you notice that there are HIV meds in their medicine cabinet. Or some other scenario, you heard this person is HIV positive. Or let's say you have a very good friend and she was accosted. God forbid she was raped. She doesn't want to report this. That's a situation where an individual may have had an exposure to HIV. 
if you believe you've had an exposure to HIV, you need to go to the emergency room within 72 hours, three days. After three days, there's nothing that we can do. HIV, the HIV virus has a way of kind of lying dormant for a very short amount of time before it starts attacking your white cells and replicating. During that small window of period, we can put you on a strategy called PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. Like I think, I said, think of PrEP as being a woman being on a birth control pill. Yeah. Think of PEP as the morning after pill or plan B. Now, it's not one pill. In most cases, it's two pills that you're required to take for 28 days. So we're going to flood your system with HIV meds for almost a month. This is the same strategy that we use for years when people that worked in clinical settings may have gotten a, um, a finger stick. So let's say a nurse was working with an HIV positive person. She got a finger stick. She may have been exposed. We would put her on those pills. Gotcha. So that's something that we want everyone to know in, in today's world, even if you've had a possible exposure, we can block it before it starts replicating your system. Now, the third thing that I want to talk about is, is remember I said that there are more methods of caring for an HIV positive person than ever. Um, a person who's HIV positive, when they go to the doctor, one of the tests that's performed on them is called the viral load test. The viral load measures the amount of the HIV virus that you find in a person's, in an individual's bloodstream. So the, the, the therapy or the, the drugs, the medication, what we call antiretroviral therapy, ARV, I'm sorry, ART, those drugs can bring the, the, the viral load to a level where you are, uh, to a level where it's so low where you're diagnosed undetectable. Now, that does not mean the person's no longer HIV positive. This is an HIV positive individual. It's the medication that have the virus to an undetectable level. Gotcha. So if an HIV positive person, undetectable today, stop taking their medication, they'll develop a viral load within probably a week. So I want you to understand that being undetectable, the significant thing about being undetectable is that's probably a very healthy person. That person probably has a very healthy immune system. They can fight off infections just like you can. Yes. However, the, the added benefit to an HIV positive person being undetectable is that the chances of that individual infecting another individual is slim to none. In fact, in all the clinical trials that have been done and reported, there are no known cases where an HIV-positive person infected a negative person. So we followed what we call serodiscordant couples, and that's where one person is HIV-positive and another person is HIV-negative. There are no, no known cases when an HIV-positive person is... Um, is undetectable that they actually infected a negative person. So I find that amazing that in today's world that the treatment of an HIV positive person is so effective to a level where we can get them, I don't want to say non-infectious, but there are no known cases where they're infectious. That's amazing. And these are the kind of things that our community need to know, the black community, because it breaks the stigma where an HIV-positive person understand that they can be at a level where the chances of them infecting someone is almost 
it, it, it's almost impossible. That's also the significance of why people need to get tested and know their status. One of the things that we know is that one in five people that are infected with HIV don't know they're infected with HIV. True. So, and what happens a lot of times in the black community, because we don't like to get, we don't get tested, what happens in the black community is very often by the time that we find out we're HIV positive, we're at an AIDS level. Wow. That we've been living with this for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And now all of a sudden we're starting, we're starting to get symptoms and very sick. We're in the emergency room. The doctor in the emergency room knows from, the, from what you're experiencing, you're HIV positive. So they do an HIV test on you. So what happens very often with black people, we're diagnosed AIDS wow. by the time we find out. Wow. So had we found out... 15 years ago, we could have had that person on the on the um, drugs before it had done the amount of damage that it did over 10, 15 years. And think about this. Over the last 10, 15 years of all of the sexual encounters that person had that wow. may have infected other people. True. True. So that's why we need to get tested. Because getting tested, not only do you know your status, which means that you can live healthy for the rest of your life, but it reduces the chances of you infecting someone else. And the CDC recognizes treatment as prevention. Wow. So in today's world, we have three different forms of biomedical prevention. There's PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. There's PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis. And there's treatment as prevention. All of these things are prevention methods that are available and proven to work and recommended by the CDC. Now, one last question. Because I was told, I was just recently told right before I, I started the podcast today, that they're coming up with a different method to where you do not have to take one pill every day. They're now coming out with new things or at least looking at trying new things like a time release or like a... Once every couple of days, is that true? It's true. There are a lot of things that are being um, that are being tested right now. Um, that that we, you know we hear about them in the industry, but until they have been approved by the CDC, they're not available. But they're all. I mean, HIV prevention and HIV um, care is eventually. It's going. It's going to be injectables. We're, you know, HIV positive people are going to be able to go to the doctor every three months and get a shot. Wow. Eventually, the, um, the, the the prevention methods of like of a prep uh, may become an injectable. There is so much. I mean, science have come so far with HIV, but we as a people, black people, we're still so far behind wow. in understanding wow. this thing and and not taking advantage of how far we've come scientifically and not only treating HIV positive people, but also preventing HIV. That's why I said earlier in this conversation, we see the end of HIV. Because here's what I want you to think about, Chris. Where does HIV come from? We know HIV comes from infectious HIV positive people. If we can get all the people that we know that are HIV positive to an undetectable level, so the first thing is that we got to keep people in care. There are so many Af black people that are HIV positive that are not in care, that are not at an undetectable level. Okay, so that's the number one. That's one of our, the first things that we have to do. And then the second thing that we have to do is that we need to really go out and test people. We need to find 
that one in five that don't know they're HIV positive. Gotcha. Find gotcha. them, get them in care, get them undetectable. Then we have to get the people that are still practicing risky behaviors. No judgment. Yeah. No, you know. No, you're right. Um, yeah. No judgment. We have to find those people and get them on prep. And we see the end of HIV. In our lifetime, we see HIV coming to an end. Wow. Wow. Well, Marvin, again, I want to make sure you give your number out for those who are listening. Okay. Uh, just in case, you know, I want to make sure. What's your number again? 954-463-9005, extension 308. Thank you so much because I got educated on a lot of things that oh. I didn't know. That I just, I'm like, it totally makes sense. Okay. So it's not just the fact that black people just being bad. You know, no. It's, no. Oh, it's a lot to do a lot more. So I thank you so much. Again, this is Brother Speed Podcast where we talk about black LGBT issues and topics. And I want to make sure everyone knows about this. And we'll be looking looking forward to put that on the website. And like I say, anything else you want to leave with our audience? No. Just strap it up. That's all, <laughs> just strap it up. All right. Oh, by the way, hold on. I do forget. Brotherspeakpod.com. Brotherspeakpod.com. As well as also, you can hit us on Twitter at Brotherspeakpod uh, at Twitter as well. So remember, you have many ways of actually hitting us to get this information. I thank everybody for joining us. Have a great day. 